Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to a special edition of Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's special episode, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Beware spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film, you have been warned. Coming to you from my basement as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. How's it going? And to my left, the professor, Ken. Listen, do you smell something? How are you guys doing? Doing great. We just saw a great movie. Yeah, so last night we went and saw the Thursday showing of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. It was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good times. Ken, you were saying something, Don, you told me, that as you were getting out of the car, what did you say? Well, we we're driving to the theater, and I was wondering how Don was feeling about going to see the movie. And I expressed to Don that I had anxiety about watching this because the first Ghostbusters is so darn good, and I know that this is supposed to be back closer to the true spirit of Ghostbusters. I was anxious that it's going to let me down and I'm going to feel crestfallen when there was so much hope in the preview as, as I remember watching it. What did you talk about in the car? Uh, I remember saying that I'm just ready to go for the ride. And, and you wanted it to be fun. And I wanted it to be fun. Yeah. And I remember you saying that bit about the original. And I remember saying it's not going to be the 84. It's not it going to be the original. It can't be. So let's just go in and have some fun. What about you? What'd you think? What What did I say in the car? No, oh, you mean when you guys didn't give shut, me a ride? Shut it. Yeah, that's what we're talking about there, well, John. You what did the you the fucking theater, think? You get to the theater forty five minutes early. I was to reserve seats. I was pretty excited um, because, again, kind of like you were saying, I was really hoping that it would live up to the hype. It's It's been a long time since I've really looked forward to a movie like this. And knowing what we know about the movie, knowing who's supposedly supposed to appear in the movie and things that are supposed to happen, um, I was really looking forward to revisiting 1984. Yeah. Yeah. And come on. We all know who was going to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the trailers did that second trailer or wherever the trailer it was where it had the four of them and you could see their hands. Come on, you knew it was who it was. So Well, the fact also that the three of them have been making the rounds on talk shows. Um, how did you feel coming out? I was very satisfied. It had me smiling a lot throughout the movie. And after the movie was over with, it was, it was a little eclectic in how the movie closes. But I was still okay with it. And afterwards, it's like, yeah, that, that, was, that was good. Yeah. Um, I found that this movie, um, like most reboots or uh, remakes, 
um, they tend to take from the original source material and, and just kind of reshape it a little way, mm-hmm. a la, you know, The Force Awakens and uh, things like that. Uh, but this film, though doing it, did it right. And they did it where I didn't care. I thought it was a great um introduction to people who might not have seen the ghostbusters you know and maybe they start with this one and Mm -hmm. you can start you you make that face because but if they've never seen it then they don't have no frame of reference john has a cringy nose i feel like you won't that the whole end of the movie won't impact you at all if you have not seen the first movie i'd just be like oh great it's an ending i disagree except for the bill murray sigourney weaver bit you're right i'm talking about you know, the big special appearance, a surprise appearance at the end is not as much of a tearjerker if you have no connection from the first movie. And, but if they don't see the first one for whatever reason, sometimes people see things out of order. If someone sees this for the first time, not having seen Ghostbusters and really not knowing a lot about it, I think they could enjoy this film and they would get just as much out of it as any well i shouldn't say that because obviously we will get more out of it but i think they will get have a fun time and they will appreciate as a good movie and it will make them want to go back and watch the 84 version i will agree with you on that i just say i'm saying it's not as much of an impact because well yeah no shit it's not much of an impact 20 minutes into this movie and you know Who's going to appear at the end? You know it's going to happen. Well, yeah. And you're counting on it. Even the people who haven't seen the first movie, they can figure out what's going to happen at the end. But just seeing him you know, appear, seeing him come in, you have that connection to him, more of a connection than anybody who has not seen the well, first movie. Obviously. So I, I, saying, I feel like you're impact. stating the obvious. I'm just saying it's more of an impact. So I would recommend to people watch the first movie first i'm not recommending that they do it i'm saying if by circumstance they have to see this film first it's okay they're going to enjoy it just as much well not but that would again, be wrong. but <laughs> that's all i'm saying if you want to enjoy the movie more go see the first one. so you're telling me that the listener our listeners who can't unfortunately yeah. yeah who unfortunately couldn't see it if they saw this they would be wrong yes Oh, okay. Well, I'm saying that you're wrong. You'll get more enjoyment. You get more bang for your buck by seeing the 1984 Ghostbusters uh, again. I feel I, again. I feel too. like you're stating the obvious. What yeah. I'm saying is, what if they can't? Why couldn't they? That's not the because uh, they can't. They just can't. They were blind up until the start of the movie. Yeah, they've never seen Ghostbusters, and you know what? The only reason why one of our listeners sees it because their kid likes Finn Wolfhard. The kid makes the listener go see Ghostbusters without having to see the first one. Or how about a little one? They're totally of the Stranger Things generation, and they go see this movie without seeing Ghostbusters. Does the movie work for them? Yes. Well, let me give it you... It does work without the original. Well played, because imagine how old you, uh, you were when you saw the 84 for the first time. This new generation, thanks to this movie, gets to feel that experience. Well, let me give you a scenario real quick to consider. Okay. Let's say you are a movie enthusiast. You're a guy who knows dates and times and music, composers and everything. You know everything about movies? And your own son has not seen the original Ghostbusters. Okay, and then you have failed as a father. I, f- I fail to see what this does with our point. Totally. Do you know who I'm talking about? You know, it, it's a meaningless point. 
It, Are you talking about me? He's seen it. I swear to God, no, he's seen it. We've sat son, down and your son just came downstairs and said, "Oh yeah, I've seen Ghostbusters, the one that came out with those women." Okay, well that that stung a little, didn't it? Okay, that that did. You know what? Fuck you. No, it didn't. Well, yes, it did, but no, because I'm going to defend the 2016 Ghostbusters. Like, I enjoyed that one. That but, one was fun. Was it Ghostbusters? No, but it, but it was fun. It was okay. When you think Ghostbusters. Which four do you think? I, I feel like, I feel like again, son, we're, I know my son. always going to think the four women. Now, I, I agree with you. Until he sees the first one, then he will realize what it is. That's, I mean, that's, that's what it all boils down to. I'm not saying don't ever not see the first Ghostbusters. I'm not trying to knock the, was it 2016 that the... Yeah, all female one came out. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was funny. I thought it was it was entertaining. It was not a good Ghostbusters movie by any regard, but it was an entertaining movie. It should have been something else. There nothing compares to the original Ghostbusters, and the idea that your son is always going to have in his mind that those four I, are the Ghostbusters. I love the fact uh, that you you man. use the word always because I'm telling you, I'm I'm telling you, as soon as he sees the first one because he is who he is he will realize and understand this is who the ghostbusters are well we're just gonna have to test that aren't we yeah fine that's what's gonna happen regardless you you don't have to see the first one to see this movie no seeing this movie on its own works and this movie by itself is an entertaining watch you go back and watch the original ghostbusters after this you are gonna laugh your ass off as you see so many of these things that are paralleled with afterlife but would you recommend seeing it for further enjoyment seeing it before this movie not necessarily oh, i would recommend it you wouldn't recommend if someone said i'm talking to if you had the choice if you i'm mean, what we're saying is if you if they had a choice would you recommend to see the first one first somebody says to their to their friends hey we're gonna go see a movie what do you want to go see uh, I don't know. We were thinking about maybe going to see Ghostbusters. And then from there, it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't see that. You need to watch Ghostbusters first. No. I, that's not what I was saying. I'm saying, and you're saying it's obvious, it has more of an impact and is even a better movie if you've seen the first one. Okay. So we are talking about... a good movie. We are, we are talking about, what, somebody 30s, 40s that hasn't seen Ghostbusters? Shame on them. Really? Serious? Uh, Somebody in their 30s, 40s that hasn't seen Ghostbusters? I'm sure they exist, my friend. I know a certain somebody who's never seen any of the Star Wars. That doesn't count. And the reason why that's seen Ghostbusters. And the reason why that doesn't count is because this is a comedy. And a comedy has a wider swath than science fiction does. That does not mean it. it, And it does not necessarily carry a stronger audience as it does as a Star Wars phenomenon. But that does not mean that it doesn't count. Of course it counts. I be seen not seen either film that later in life. Shame on you. Okay, but it is a one movie as opposed but that's to not a the, franchise. That's not my point. Your, my point is my point, point is different. No, my point we, is our correct. Are different. No, absolutely not. Yes, what you're saying are. is that no, they're not. I'm loving this. Well, love it up, motherfucker. I'm just feeding off of this. This is great. So, John, walking out of the theater, did you like it? What'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I, I, 
was happy to say it lived up to my expectations. It somewhat exceeded and it delivered on the promises. You know, you see, sometimes you see previews and they hype them up and they make them look really good. I feel like the trailers, the previews, the interviews, they delivered. I will say there are a few points in the movie that I have to question a bit. It did leave some things unanswered. And there's one sticking point that still bothers me, but that's not going to stop me from seeing it again. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll talk about that more when we, when, when we, we get, get to, to that it. part. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Right on. All right. So I think it was pretty unanimous. We were all kind of just very pleased walking out and um, yeah, the filmmakers did a really good job. This was directed by Jason Reitman, who is uh, Ivan Reitman's son. And he Ivan, is? yeah. Fuck face listeners. You missed it, but well, we already had this conversation. Who produced it? Ivan Reitman. I, why is that a wow? Is that nepotism? Oh, absolutely. But it's Hollywood. And and you know what? Good for Ivan for taking such a care of his property. I mean, him and Harold Ramis and I think Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Were they, yeah. Dan, uh, that's their baby from the original. And this movie was made with so much love that you could feel it. And I'll tell you what. When uh, we sat down and the... Uh, you know, the movie started as soon as that tune started with the uh, production company's logos. I thought to myself, this movie better be fucking good because right now in this moment, I'm fucking hooked. It brought back that feeling, that, that ratatouille feeling when he eats it for the first time. That's, that's, when, it, that's when it hit me, it's right? Hit, can I just throw out for listeners who didn't get the you know, enjoyment of going with Don to see a movie, he let out a little gleeful giggle when that music started and that to me just heightened the movie just to see that glean gleefulness on don's face <laughs> what can i say man i giggled it was such a great moment and i was really hoping from then on out oh this movie better not fucking suck hey J- jason he he's a guy he, he knows what he's doing and i forgot all about that juno up in um, the air. Up in the air, yeah. Nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he knows what he's doing. Well, the funny thing is, is a while back, like I think it was like around 10 years back, he was asked in an interview if he would ever do a Ghostbusters movie. And he said there is no way he will ever do a Ghostbusters movie because his style of movie would create a very boring movie where they just sit around and they talk about ghosts. And then it's funny, here we are today, and he's put out a great movie. Ghostbusters Afterlife, released November 19th, 2021, directed by Jason Reitman, produced by Ivan Reitman, written by Gil Keenan, Jason Reitman, based on characters from those other guys from that first movie. Music by Rob Simonson, and it stars Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Paul Rudd, Carrie Coon, and some of your favorites. What about Logan Kim? And Logan Kim. I, you know what? Let's talk about Logan Kim real quick. Podcast, fucking dynamite. I thought he was a great character. Solid character. Totally, totally owned the movie. Yeah. You didn't feel he was a little cartoon-like? No. No. Like just he, the con- he was basically you the just don't like Rick Moranis in this. No, he was more like Ray. You think so? Oh, yes. Like he was, yeah, he was Ray. a very much a child version of Ray. Okay. Because uh, if you remember back to the first one, Ray always had something around. We meet him. He's carrying like a satchel or something, right? And when we meet podcast, he still got his gear and they both wore the goggles. And yeah, dude, he was but, totally right. But here's the thing. I think 
you like podcasts because I even, I think, said it to you during one of the breaks in the movies is that podcast is how I imagine you, Don, as a kid. <laughs> uh, let's clarify something. There are no breaks in movies. You whispered it while the fucking movie was going on. Well, it was a downtime. But at the same time, he is like Ray because he is stacked up with stats and facts, just yeah. like he was. Yeah, it's not yeah. an insult. I just I, that's how I pictured you, just kind of that technical whiz who just has all those stats in his head. Oh well, there you go. Thanks. It wasn't an insult. Thanks, buddy. I'm not always an asshole. Does anybody know how much was this movie made for? This movie was made for seventy-five million dollars, and. Who knows what it'll make? Hopefully it'll do really well. I um, predict, and I'm putting my foot down on this one. You can quote me. It's going to make more than $75 million. Wow. That's pretty ballsy of you. Yeah. Wow. Repu- I am, reputation I am, out there. Yeah, I am blown away by that. Brazen. Brazen prediction. I will go one step further. I think it's going to outperform Eternals. Oh, my gosh. Now we know you are fucking smoking the peyote. What are you doing in your car before you come into the basement, good sir? What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ghostbusters Afterlife. 37 years after the Manhattan Crossrip of 84, Ghostbusters founding member Egon Spangler has relocated to Somerville, Oklahoma, where Gozerian cultist Ivo Shondor's mining operations were located. Egon captures a ghost in the mines of Ivo Shandor, aiming to use it to lure a larger ghost to his farm, where he has set up a trap. The trap fails, and the ghost kills Egon. So this is like the first, I don't know what, 10, 15 minutes of the film? Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys think? Did you know that was Egon going into it? It's pretty obvious. I was pretty sure that that was Egon, especially when you see the plasma beam on top of the mountain. I knew that that had to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, as soon as they saw the trap, it's like, okay, yeah, it probably is Egon. Yeah, he they, they did a good job of keeping him in the shadows. You could kind of make out a silhouette. So I, I kind of figured out with the, the trick shots that they were using. and That it had to be. Yeah. I thought, especially from the opening, that this is how they were going to explain why he wasn't around. That yeah. That's why I first jumped to the th- conclusion, this is Egon. This is how Egon, unfortunately, bites it. And... Mm-hmm. Now we're going to progress. But I love the fact that even before we've started the movie, before we've gotten, you know, the opening music and the uh, opening title and all that, we've got the scene that kind of harkens back to the library scene totally. in the original Ghostbusters. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. That just kind of gives you that you're understanding it, but you're not understanding it. Yeah. And so, again, it goes back to that uh, remake formula that's been going on lately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but this one though I can feel it, it doesn't bother me because I'm having fun with it. And I know because I've seen the first one, this is a uh, continuation of a character that I've known and loved for a long time. So uh, again, I I really like this opening and and I thought it was really good. I was surprised that Egon was alive. Um, I just assumed from the trailers that uh, our story would start with, uh, you know, mom and kids, uh, whatever their story was going to be. I didn't, I didn't think we would get like a prologue um, or just having Egon die. Did you notice that when, um, and every now and then we're going to throw in callbacks because, you know, that's what we do. Uh, when we go into the house, you see the books. 
Yes. Yes, the stack of books. You do that little giggle too when you saw that. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah, and then when uh, he finally sits down in the chair, the arms come out like yep. they did with Dana. Yep. yep. So yeah. Now, a lot of callbacks to the fucking first film, but it's so delightful. I just got to gush about the the music. It just, you know, we're, we're, we're treading on hallowed ground. It's just like, man, I am right back in the New York library again, even though I'm not in the New York library. And we'll just say it now. The music throughout this whole film is... Spectacular. Yes. Yes, it fit. It It's the original theme with a little bit... Uh, minor changes here and there, obviously that you can tell, but it it just it feels right. Those piano chords, it feels natural. You know the the warbly sound. Yeah, something that we were talking about earlier, and one of the things that's just great about this movie and great about the first movie is the sound effects and the music. You can just if you're a fan. You can just walk down the street and you can hear any one of those sounds or any one of those music, and you immediately identify. Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. the proton packs powering up, that little piano chord, you know, the sound of the, you know, when usually that ghost logo appears, any of those sounds, the, the siren on top of Ecto-1, it all harkens you right back to the movie. There was reverence given to all of these audio clips, all of these audio pieces throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, they, they made it with care. Can you say that about a lot of movies? I mean, for you, probably in some of the Marvel movies, like when Captain America's music hits, that jumps at Superman's music in the original but Donner films. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. But a movie that has so many of those instances. I mean, I can't think of another movie that has so many instances of sound effects that I immediately identify with the music, with the movie. Oh, I can. I can think of a thousand off the top of my head. Okay. Well, that's how you're the movie guy. Yeah. Well. I'm not saying that's wrong or bad, um, but you are correct. This is one of those films that when you hear those sounds, you know what it is, right? Um, would you know the DeLorean turning on if you just heard it? Yeah, I would probably recognize that, but I'm just saying. I, I know what Back you're to saying. the Future, does it have a lot of those sound effects? I mean, just everything. You know, you recognize. I mean, there's, of course, the music. I'm sure. Of course, you, the DeLorean. Right. I'm sure you could go tick for tap with each film and find something that could you know potentially be a music cue all i'm saying is that uh you're right this one is very um recognizable um i don't know if it's that unique Mm, okay so that's just what i'm saying what the fuck is that from oh predator (laughs) no it's ferris bueller butt fuck really come on there's kids listening Callie, Egon's estranged daughter, and her two children, Trevor and Phoebe, are evicted from their home and forced to move into Egon's farm in Somerville. Trevor meets Lucky, a local girl working in a diner, and Phoebe is enrolled in summer school, where she's left under the care of Gary Guberson, her teacher. Janine Melnitz informs Callie that Egon left behind a large amount of debt. So this is where we meet our characters, our uh, passing of the torches, if you will. We see that Carrie wants nothing to do with her dad. And clearly the kids have no idea uh, who their grandfather was. Yet there's a lot of similarities, uh, especially for uh, Phoebe and and Egon. Um, So, yeah, we meet him. And did you notice that they're getting evicted from their apartment, uh, much like 
the boys getting evicted, evicted from, from their the college from college yeah. yeah right and that phoebe's wearing that headlamp and then she turns and shines it right into your face just like egon did and apparently she's wearing the same glasses that harold ramus wore in the original ghostbusters so again the care and the love that the filmmakers put into this it it shows on film and you know what i i, I really enjoyed it early on um the actress playing phoebe i felt like she just stole this movie you know, Finn, oh, yeah. he was okay in the movie. Um, the mom, okay in the movie. Podcast, okay. Phoebe just stood out. I mean, she's the one who, if I, you know, if you're going to make a sequel and you need to bring in just one of the characters, she's got to be in the sequel. Um, yeah, I, I can see uh, why you would say that. And she definitely did stand out. I mean, she... She was our protagonist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the supporting cast around your protagonist is only as good as your surrounding cast. So I felt that uh, the supporting cast was really well. I liked the gal that they play; who they got to play Lucky. Uh, I liked the mom. I liked how down she was on everything, and she was just kind of just like real, right? And Paul Rudd, I'd watch Paul Rudd act out of a box. So he was always delightful in anything he does. I thought that the mother's character was a really rich character. She is down on her luck and life is hard. And she is a broken person that has no ties to anybody other than her children. And she is escaping to another set of problems that hopefully is going to somehow stay, um, that trouble will stay far enough away from her that she won't have to worry about where's the next paycheck coming from. Yeah. And, And it kind of all goes south on her too right um and she and she doesn't tell the kids that they're gonna stay they're under the impression that they're only there for a week or so to sort things out and she's even under the under the impression um just give me the money and write me a check so i can pay my rent and i'll be out of your hair and comes to find out that she can't because there is no money and it's uh janine annie potts our, our loyal assistant um who has to break this to her. And that was a nice little cameo touch as well. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, you know. One thing I really liked is how they kind of set up, you know, there was a lot of uh, sub stories going on in this movie. And I like how they set up the whole point of her father abandoned her. She hated her father. She even said he could go to hell at one point. Um, and you know, in the back of your mind, that's not Egon. That's not something he would do unless he had to do. So that kind of draws you into think okay, why did he leave his family? What would make him leave his family to do something like this? His family, his partners, yeah. everybody. He left everybody. Yeah, and at the same time, we're getting a glimpse of what young Egon would have been like in Phoebe and the the behavioral issues that she has with trying to get along with other people and make friends um, you know, some of the stuff that she's got going on that she doesn't show emotions well. And you think this must be what Egon was like as a kid. That's exactly what I thought. And I got to admit, uh, I'm pretty sure she plays the little smart girl on the big bang or I'm sorry, on young Sheldon. You guys watch the big bang. Yeah. You know, Sheldon. Cooper, I, I right? thought too, she was much like Sheldon. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of took me out of it for like two seconds, but I guess Egon might've been the first Sheldon. Yeah. Now, the one thing that was a little bit of a downer is I guess I kind of always hoped that Egon and Janine would get together 
that was hinted at like in the first movie. Yeah, that is, that is kind of a And downer. then if you watch the animated series she at all. She loved him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she was really into him. And they kind of, you know, were hinting at that a long time. So I kind of had hoped that they would have ended up together. A little disappointed to see that they didn't. But the fact that obviously they remain friends is a good sign. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Didn't that house look awesome? That was a great oh, yeah. looking house. The murder house? Yeah. Uh, the, the dirt house. The dirt house. They, they called it a murder house, I think, at one point. Yeah, probably. Trevor did. Yeah. yeah. And I love that line from Trevor when the earthquake happens. Of, Remember that summer we all died under a table? Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. What do you think of Trevor's casting with Finn from Stranger, uh, Stranger Things? Oh, he's fine. I don't mind him as an actor at all. Did you hear how he was cast for this movie? I might have. They brought him in for an audition. Oh, and they didn't tell him what it was. They didn't tell him what the movie was. And he, in the back of his mind, knew that obviously a Ghostbusters movie is coming out. And he had done a Ghostbusters character in Stranger Things during Halloween. They dressed up like Ghostbusters. Season one. And he thought that nobody would ever take him seriously for a role like that because of what he'd done in Stranger Things. Yeah, well, look at him now. And he got cast without even really knowing it. Yeah, and he could potentially be part of a franchise. Yeah. So... He he skinned. He wasn't one of my favorite characters. Doesn't have to be your favorite character. He's bankable. Yeah. So sorry, Bob. So uh, what did you think of Paul Rudd? The introduction of Paul Rudd talking to to mom. That was at, at the door. Yeah, that was good. I like that one. While sorting through Egon's belongings, Phoebe finds a PKE meter and is led by an unseen ghost to a ghost trap. While Trevor finds the ectomobile. Lucky takes Trevor atop the mountain where he explains why his family moved to Somerville. A ghost escapes the mines. Phoebe brings the ghost trap to school to show her friend podcast where Gary unveils that Somerville has been suffering daily earthquakes despite not sitting on a fault line, tectonic plate, or volcano. Gary, Phoebe, and podcast open the ghost trap and the ghost within escapes into the Shandor Mines. So, yeah, we uh, get a little bit more Paul Rudd as the teacher. Um, what did you think? Did you like Paul Rudd as the teacher? Totally. He he totally struck me as a summer school teacher where he's just blowing stuff off. Absolutely. I love Cujo. You. Cujo. Well, he struck me as what a summer school teacher would be like if your teacher was Paul Rudd. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So he comes in and he plays Cujo for these kids. And I'm thinking to myself... Wait, Cujo Stephen King? Wait, these kids are like 12. Totally. Yeah, but yeah, it was a good introduction to the character. And I love how when she walks in, uh, when Phoebe walks into his office to see what he's doing, because clearly she's bored, uh, he's all like, those are blah, blah, blah. Do you know what that is? And she's like, well, yes, I do. And then he immediately perks up, and now he's got someone to kind of connect with. I think the the way Paul Rudd explained Cujo to people who were born long after Cujo came out of, uh, think of it as Beethoven if he had rabies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good good lines. And, and good eight little children or something like that. Yeah, good lines. And now we're introduced to Logan Kim, who plays podcast, who we kind of talked about earlier. I, find, I found him very delightful. and um, He was always fun when he was on screen. Yeah, and so he was a good addition to this ensemble. So, yeah, I really liked him as a, as the character. You don't feel at any time he kind of started to go a little overboard? No. Okay. Again, you I'm don't like... I know, but you don't like kids. I liked him. 
I thought he was a good character. Then why did you ask me if he went overboard? Because you felt you must have felt because uh, you must have felt at some point he went overboard. No, I felt at times he was a little cartoony, but I agree with you with your review of him. He is a young Ray. So uh, Phoebe goes home. She starts to experience kind of weird things. She starts to play chess with a ghost, which I thought, you know, I was first thinking, shouldn't she be freaking out? But I guess she's too rational yeah and we actually live in a world where ghosts exist the 84 thing happened so you you it's in the it's in the realm of possibility well she explains it later she says whenever she gets anxious nervous or excited she actually becomes more rational and calm that's the way her her behavior system works yeah 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 she she said it calms her yeah because oh yeah 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 yeah. so that's what i'm saying so the fact that you know even though she says early on i don't believe in ghosts yet she's willing to play chess with a ghost yeah because she's probably curious of what happens and at first i went it's egon and then for a second i went is it egon and then it turns out it's egon and i like the bit where uh, she's sitting in the chair and she gets the puzzle and she does it, and she pulls out the trap. What did you guys think of that? That was awesome. I kept thinking Egon died to hide that trap. Why is he showing a kid where the trap is? Because he trusts his granddaughter. Yeah. There's a bond there, dude. Yeah, I'm but didn't you. he know she was going to open the trap and let the little demon dog well, out? Well, he, he doesn't know everything. But even, if he had to trust the trap to someone, he's trusting it to his granddaughter. And if nothing else, letting that ghost out is going to ensnare her into service. That's what I thought maybe too, is, is that yeah. he was trying to, he knew that his, what he had set up to keep those ghosts trapped wasn't going to keep going forever. Well, maybe. Maybe he was planning long term, mm-hmm. you know, like Alfred does for uh, Batgirl in Batman and Robin, your favorite well, Batman just, movie, and, John. And to quote Don, that's the way the script script was written. There you go. I thought it was hilarious of uh, Gruberman's attempt at opening up the trap. It just seems so, so uh, uh, pathetic. It, it, it was so... Uh, it, it was so amateurish. Well, first, uh, Phoebe finds the trap and takes it to school. And then uh, Gruberman walking by and he's all, nice replica. And I love uh, yeah. Phoebe's delivery of replica of what? <laughs> well, that was that was one of the big, I think, kick in the crotch uh, points in the movie when they talk about, he goes, yeah, the thing that happened, you know, the cross rip that happened in 1984. And they're like, we weren't born then. Yeah. <laughs> to speak about... Uh, Really age shaming, uh, age shaming somebody, but um. But for somebody who knows what that thing is, and then he has it on the hood of the car, it's like, dude, he he hooks up a, a battery to a bus on it, and I love that he has podcast uh, turning on the bus. <laughs> he, he, he's running the thing. Does he not just feel like one of the kids at that point? Oh, completely, a hundred percent. So yeah, they open up this trap and they release the ghost, and he looks strangely familiar. This ghost, yes, he does. Um, if you had seen the first one, which you should, uh, it's one of the demon dogs. So this ones are back. So now we know that in this story, we are going to have to see the gatekeeper. And the key master. So Trevor wants to fit in and he applies at the burger joint and uh, he meets the Lucky, uh, the girl he has his eye on. They kind of, you know, go back and forth, whatever. Uh, it's, 
good character building, I guess, uh, quick, but you get the gist of it. Mm-hmm. You know what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they go up to the mine or on top of this mountain, which was it looked pretty cool. Um, what did you guys think of it not taking place in New York? That was a weird thing. It, it took me a minute to sit into it and really you know accept that we're not going to be in new york and this whole story is going to be here yeah and this is not what we expected yeah but it fucking worked but do you like how they connected up for this is where the metal was mined that went in to build the building in new york yeah. so it's kind of like you're going oh you're going now to the source yeah so they did a great job connecting the past with the present mm-hmm. and um Again, it came down to the writing. And this is this is one of those things. This is one of those details that they get right. And you don't mind that we've we and we haven't seen it before, but it explains a little bit from the first one that we got. But if you didn't see it, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just really well done. Some of the critics online have complained that this whole movie was just rehashing old stories, old bits. It was. And bring it, but then again, I felt it was more of giving us more backstory, giving us more origin and giving us, you know, a new story built off of an old story. It wasn't rehashing so much as giving us more to it. Which John totally loves. Yeah, I, I like that because they even gave us more about Gozer. They gave us more about the de- you know, origin of the devil dogs. They gave us more about um, Ivo or Evo, what was his name? Shandor. Yeah. Shandor. They give us more, a little bit more about him. And, you know, you, you get more of the story that now you can say, oh, that makes more sense about the first movie. A little, you know, a little more backstory. And so to me, it just enhances both movies to put them together. Yeah. So the other critics are wrong. Well, I think rehash is kind of a, a harsh term. Yes, it, it it's very similar to the first film. But that's what you get when you get these remakes. Again, Force Awakens, Alien Covenant, Jurassic World, they were all just retellings of the first film. I wouldn't call this movie, though, a remake. No, no, I'm not saying it's a remake. I'm saying it fits the same formula. Force Awakens wasn't a remake. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the same formula. The unseen ghost leads Phoebe to an underground lair where Egon kept his ghost-busting equipment. Realizing that the ghost is Egon... Phoebe mends a proton pack under his direction and tests it the next day when she encounters the metal-eating ghost Muncher inside a factory. Muncher escapes capture and flees into Somerville, where Phoebe and Podcast meet with Trevor in the repaired ectomobile. They chase and successfully capture Muncher, but the police arrest them for property damage, confiscating the ectomobile and their Ghostbuster gear. Phoebe contacts Stance, who tells her that Egon has stolen the Ectomobile and most of the Ghostbusters gear 10 years after the Manhattan Crossrep incident before moving to Somerville, believing that Gozer was going to attempt a return. There is so much to unpack in this one little part. I know. So let's start at the beginning. So she goes to the, we kind of touched on it briefly, but she goes, she finds his lair and the fire pole, right? Immediately, great callback. And uh, we get a nice little panning shot of his spores, mold, and fungus that he likes to collect. Collect. And I feel like the next time we see this, uh, there's going to be a bell going off every time there's a callback. Bing, bing. Uh, The fucking Crunch Wrapper. 
the crunch wrapper she pulls out of uh, the old uniforms that she mm-hmm. finds is the same one that Bill Murray, or it's a nod to the one Bill Murray gives Harold Ramis. And so, I mean, well done. And for some people, it might be too much. And for some people, it might uh, they might be beating you over the head with it. But if that's the case, beat me all day long because I adored the fucking original. I thought they weren't so blatant. They were callbacks but they were very subtle agreed 100 mm-hmm. but yeah. i but uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard the critics they yeah. they think it's too but much but it's enough for fans who really enjoy the movie to say oh i saw that i got that yeah 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 great moments it takes you great right moments. back so yeah and it doesn't impact the story we keep going with the story uh, as we're supposed to mm-hmm. i did find it a little odd that i think she's supposed to be 12 years old that even though she is somewhat of a genius that she was so easily able to take apart and, you know, that proton pack and do some repairs. She on felt it. pretty comfortable doing that. Did you yeah. say you felt it felt odd to you? It felt a little bit odd that she was able to do that. I know that Egon was helping her, but she understood it right away. I mean, this, as uh, Egon said, I think in the first movie, this is basically like wearing a, you know, a nuclear weapon on your back. Yeah. And no, I the fact that she could have blown something up just taking this thing apart. I bought it 100%. It's yeah. just cuz it's the way they built her up yeah. coming down to this moment. Yeah. Like I said she reminded me of Sheldon and Sheldon could do that. So what a delight watching her test drive that proton pack. Yeah. It's like holy fuck. Would you that, don't know what you're getting yeah. into. Would you have done that as a kid? What? Gone out into a field and just Oh, hell yes. And I love that, you know, podcast takes out his mic and he set up the targets and she goes, did I hit it? And you destroyed like, it. Yeah. It's, oh, it's but good he moment. didn't even flinch when that thing went off. I was expecting him to take like 10 steps back. Yeah. And kind of, you know, a little farther back when she lighted that thing up. Yeah. That, that was, that was brilliant. Yeah. And in the meantime, you have uh, Trevor fixing the old ectomobile and he gets it running and he takes it out in the. The cornfields. Uh, the cornfields, and he's what, 15? No, it was he a wheat field. Oh, it was a wheat field. You're right. You're right. 15, and it failed his driver's test twice. I thought it was three times. It was a three times? Yeah, either way. It he, was It was very gratifying. Yeah. I, w- I would totally be doing the same thing if I was him. I've got my own wheels, and I'm just going to go crazy for a couple of minutes here. Yeah, and so this is kind of our first real test run of ghost busting because uh, a ghost who looks a lot like Slimer named muncher uh has escaped and he's eating metal and you see the the callback to all the slime mm-hmm. no, right you, no. you immediately know what's going on who played muncher josh gad that i thought was crazy i obviously how do you pick josh gad out of that and did it sound like him did it i know i don't think why, it was supposed why would they to even but need an actor to play him he was just cgi because it was for fun and i'm sure josh gad was like oh my god yes let me be a ghost in the Ghostbusters. Now, I did read uh, from the director that the reason why they didn't use Slimer and they came up with Muncher is because through you know the first and the second movie and then through the animated series, Slimer had basically become the Dalmatian of the firehouse. He had become considered like a mascot to the Ghostbusters. And he wanted to basically give them another ghost that... Started off the same way Slimer did, kind of like a target, as well as had a little bit of, you know, scariness to him that he is a supernatural threat. So you can't just throw Slimer in there and have him attack Slimer. So that's why he created Muncher. A lot like uh, us getting BB-8. 
Mm-hmm. So now uh, Muncher is running amok through the city and, you know, Phoebe podcast, they meet up with Trevor who's driving and they get into the ectomobile and they start chasing the ghost and um, they find it and they get ready for battle. And we get some interesting things that we haven't ever seen or we haven't seen in a film, uh, the Ghostbusters film before, but they do exist. Um, so I thought that was a nice little callback too, and and I'm talking about the gunner chair Where does in the, the ectomobile. Come, where does that come from? Uh, it's either it's the toy and the commercial, or the toy and the cartoon, or yep. the just the cartoon. It, cartoon. They had a toy version that actually did have a gunner seat pop out. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically there's at least two callbacks in this movie that are directly from the animated series. One is the gunner seat, and or and one is the ghost with one eye. They oh, both yeah. were in the animated series. Right on. Right on. So it's kind of nice that, you know, they're bringing those fans in as well. Right. And so while the, while the kids are running around trying to capture this ghost, uh, mom is on a date with uh, Gary Gooberson, Paul Rudd. And I thought that scene was, was pretty funny too. The whole scene of them destroying the town, just going through and shooting the town, did make you think at all of the hotel when they first go in and they destroy that banquet room? You see a pattern forming here? I know. It's just kind of another callback of, again, they're not rehashing these old scenes. They are complimenting them. They're basically saying, this is the new generation. And it was so much fun. It was. That I didn't care. Yeah. So, yeah. No, they did a great job. Uh, yeah. It, that, that gunner seat was was so wonderful. And then the little RC trap. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And they almost get him. Right, they but he gets away, of course. But yeah. they almost get him, and then of course they have to. Uh, oh no, they do get him because he goes into yep. the yep. Uh, pipe factory or that that factory of whatever it is. So they land up getting him, but in the meantime, uh, they also get popped by the cops. Mm-hmm. And podcast, you know, he's ramping himself up getting to getting acclimated with all of that technology in XO one and and. And uh, assisting with this. Yeah. So uh, he's the Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. Now you bring up the point of the jail scene. And this is where the the main issue that I have with this movie, this is where it jumps out. And that is the call to Ray. When she, you know, she can call anybody. She calls Ray. Great plot point. Great way to bring him in. Great way to kind of introduce us to the old Ghostbusters. But when Ray's talking about how Egon can go to hell and he did all these things and he had these cockamamie stories and we didn't believe him and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking after everything that those Ghostbusters went through and how people didn't believe them and how they had seen so many different things. Why the hell when Egon goes to any of the Ghostbusters and say, I think Gozer's back. I think we need to go to the small town, and I think we need to stop Armageddon. Why wouldn't they believe him? I don't know if it was so much that they didn't believe him. I don't know if they cared. Well, they kind of dropped a hint of after the New York incident and kind of hinted a little bit at the second movie, the ghost dried up. Winston went on to make millions of dollars, and Venkman went on to go teach back at the school right and so at that point i don't think egon wanted them to have to risk their lives but he he went to them and he said you know he told them uh, as they put it these conspiracy theories that they that he had and none of them believed him and that kind of made me mad oh well 
get over it. It is what it is. They can't change it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they had to atone later for it. Yeah, maybe, but only after Egon has passed. Yeah. So it doesn't count. Did they really atone? (laughs) According to you, they did not. I thought that they just went in different directions, and, and they had different motivations, and the income dried up. And with that, they had to go do different things because there was no more income. That's That, I thought, was a little bit far-fetched of a storyline because I think they would have been there for each other. I didn't put two thoughts into it. I didn't either. Because they played it so well. Okay, well, you... Sh- what, no more than you? I know. Um, so I, I really liked that uh, she does call Egon. She has the wherewithal to call, I'm sorry, call Ray. And, uh, he, you know, he wants to hang up right away, and she kind of talks his ear off. And then at the very end, she tells him, well, I, I'm his granddaughter, right? So he just unknowingly spilled all this shit about him that I bought because Dan Aykroyd played it fine. And the way it was written, it makes sense that they could have had a falling out. They have a falling out uh, at the beginning of two, I believe. Makeman doesn't want to be any part of them right. in the beginning of two. So it's, it's very much in the realm of possibility. But I really enjoyed that scene, and it was a great way to bring Ray in into the story. And did you know that the, the shop that he is in, what's it called? Ray's Occult something. Occult. That's from two. Is it? Yeah, mm-hmm. part two. Mm-hmm. Was it hokey? That when she asked the... Uh, no, guy, dude, it was fucking perfect, spot on. As soon as he said, who... Oh, my God, it yeah, was fucking She's like, perfect. I'd like to make my call. Who are you going to call? Trevor, Phoebe, Lucky, and Podcast return to the mine, entering from atop the mountain. Inside it, they find a temple dedicated to the resurrection of Gozer. They also find the body of Evo Shandor and a trap Egon has set up to contain any potential incursion by Gozer. Gary and Callie are possessed by Gozer's minion, Vince Clortho, the Keymaster, and Zool, the Gatekeeper, respectively, and run to Shandor's mine. The Keymaster destroys Egon's trap, allowing Gozer to manifest and Evo Shandor to wake up. Gozer kills Shandor and takes its throne in the temple. Phoebe, Trevor, Lucky, and Podcast discover Egon's plan to trap Gozer and gear up and enter the mine again to enact it. Podcast traps Zool, causing Gozer's form to falter. Kaylee is restored and they flee the mine to Egon's farm in order to draw Gozer there. The trap fails and Gozer breaks Zool out of the ghost trap. Zool possesses Lucky and Gozer is restored. Did you have like this thought in your head of thinking back to the first movie of, oh, all they had to do was take out one of the devil dogs. They could have kind of saved New York at that point. I don't think they destroyed New York. I think they destroyed a high rise. And if that was the case, then yeah, maybe, but they didn't know back then. This was the first time that they were messing with the interdimensional uh, demon. And you know, you live and you learn, you, you, you chalk it up to the next one. I did. I did enjoy this whole, like I said, it again, revisiting the first movie, but at the same time, making Gozer even more of a kind of a supernatural threat in that now we're not dealing with the top of a building. Now we're not dealing with, you know, four Ghostbusters who can cross the streams to close the gate. Gozer's through the door. So she, she comes out. Um, but you got to admit the kids kind of hold their own for a minute Mm -hmm. and they managed to get mom back. And, uh, what did you think about the scene in Walmart with Paul Rudd? 
Very reminiscent to maybe Rick Moranis running around trying to escape the dog as well. A little bit. My first thought was these they're cute and it harkens off to Baby Yoda, but did we really need those little mini Stay Puff Marshmallow? That took it from, you know, just even one step closer to being more on the cartoony side than being on the, you know, Ghost right, because a bit, yeah, because a big demon dog chasing you down the fucking halls in uh, Walmart isn't cartoony at all. No, that feels like a Ghostbuster movie. So did this. this did you? Did, were they yes, really it was just on a smaller, smaller version. Okay. Professor, same thing. any thoughts? Did you enjoy that part? Did you think it was needed? I, I didn't look at it as needed or unneeded. I looked at it as, oh, this is just a throwback to the original, and we're just going to have a couple of minutes of some wacky, goofy stuff with it. And the fact that we got, uh, what, maybe two, three minutes of it? Yeah, I was all right with that. And it was fun. It was fun. So, yes, it was needed. Fuck you, moving on. So I hate fun. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what you don't like kids. You don't like fun. The machines are going to win. Smile, you fuck. <laughs> and it's a period piece. And it's definitely much not a period piece. I also thought that when they went down the mine shaft to check things out and they found all of Egon's equipment set up down there to keep the uh, those those uh, spirits at bay. Badass. That was, yeah, that was, that was really stylishly cool. Yeah, but first they got to get out of prison. And so uh, Phoebe comes up with this brilliant idea let the ghost out that choose the metal. And because all of their gear is locked up behind that was a podcast cell. Podcast came oh, podcast came up with that idea. Yeah. Brilliant. My first thought when we see all that equipment, you know, not only did he try to, you know, trap him at the house, but this is why, obviously we get our answer of why there's the tremors. And this is why Gozer hasn't escaped yet. This is, he, he actually set something up to keep him busy. But at the same time, he probably guessed this wouldn't last forever, and this is why he needed the kids. Who? Why Egon needed Phoebe to become the next Ghostbuster. Because right. those those guns may not last forever. Okay, but it's a nuclear accelerator. It should have a half-life of what, 500 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but we just get Muncher to come into the caves and eat one of them, and they're free. Would you go down to the cave? Muncher would. No, he, would you? Muncher didn't go to the cave. I'm, 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 I'm saying he was heading back towards the mountain when they trapped him. So oh, right, right. Yeah, 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 so right, right. if he'd gotten in there, who knows what he would have done. But what, what about you, John? Would you have gone down that mine shaft? And then what would have happened if you would have found all that shit down there? First of all, when they are sitting on that little rockety thing over the big hole. Before anything happens. That was a big nope. To Fuck me. that. I don't like heights. And I will I'd be the first to say it. Even looking over the edge down into that hole is a huge nope for me. So it would be hard to get me on that little elevator trap to even go down in the hole. All I could, all I was thinking was when they were sitting on that and it was swinging. All I kept thinking was if I was on that, all I would be thinking then would be snap and then just plummeting. Now, now here's a thought though. If I was brave enough to look at that hole or get on that elevator and then someone and then someone pulled out their phone and started playing like indiana jones music i'd be like drop it i'm going down in ah so you were easily influenced by the scores of john williams heck yeah well done wouldn't you kind of get that kind of indie feeling of wanting to go explore yeah maybe so anyways uh so zool uh no 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 uh paul rudd's 
dog, demon dog character turns back into a uh, regular Paul Rudd and he comes in and he dismantles uh, the trap that Egon had sent, which I thought was fucking awesome. This is how Egon has been uh, keeping these things at bay all mm-hmm. these years. He's taking all these precautions and um, it's like three proton packs uh, shooting into the middle, keeping, oh, it was a four, four proton packs shooting into the middle of this hole, keeping Gozer and the rest of the demons down and uh, Paul Rudd breaks it. And this is where we start our third act and they get out and now they have this, uh, now they have to stop it. Before that, when the key master gets with the gatekeeper, did you like how she kind of just converted into the Dana dress? Yeah. Yeah. Another no, great callback. It, those callbacks, like you were kind of saying, they were subtle, but yet they worked on uh, multiple levels. Because in the original movie, and again, you know, you're the first to, you know, harass me about overanalyzing movies. But in the first movie, you always kind of wondered where Dana got that weird copper sparkly dress. Well, now we have our answer. It well, just I was, appears. But I kind of felt that Sigourney Weaver's character would have owned that dress. I don't know. She was part of an orchestra. Maybe that That's was her point. cello playing That's dress. That's what I thought. Maybe, yeah. she, maybe, she was, maybe uh, Lothar and or maybe, I mean, Zool fell in love with that dress. Well, and maybe be because, I mean, this is really their only second time that we know of of them going into human form and that's the only frame of reference they have is dana's dress and i do want to apologize i keep saying lothar it's clothar is the name of the character yes we are going to have so many people write us going that fucking john can't get any fucking name straight especially vince clothar every time i hear the name all i hear is rick moran is saying it to the Mm -hmm. horse Yeah, I love. That. I just keep thinking. Yeah, go back and listen to the Ghostbusters podcast. All folks. I keep thinking is Zool is a great name for a demon dog. Vince Clothar. Yeah, totally. Here, here Vince. Here Vince Clothar. Yeah, that's like. Uh, yeah, your name's Obi Wan, and your name is Luke. So we get to the part now. Uh, they have to set a trap, and they're going to suit up, and they're going to suit up, and this is like the part in the story where everything goes south for our characters. The ectomobile. Uh, gets stalled uh the trap's not working the ghosts are coming we're building up to this point before that again i keep going back when they start to suit up did either of you think well those suits aren't going to fit these kids at first i did and it wasn't until they came out with the uh uh like the elbow pads and the knee pads they really kind of formed to their shape something and uh, the Spider-Man suit when he puts it on and presses a button and it forms to his mm-hmm. uh, his uh, silhouette. That's what I kind of thought of. Yeah. But yeah, dude, those things would have been way too big for those kids. I was expecting to see them like really bunched up at the sleeves and the legs, yeah. and we never got to. They would just perfectly fit these kids. Yeah, and so you know uh, everything's going south, and it all looks like it's all going to go to shit, and. Ray arrives with Peter Venkman and Winston Zedmore to aid the Spanglers, but Gozer is able to break free by uncrossing their streams. Phoebe attempts to save them by herself. The ghost of Egon materializes beside her to help. Trevor powers up the trap with his proton pack, and the traps are triggered, trapping Gozer, Zool, and Vince Clortho within them. Egon embraces Kelly, Trevor and Phoebe and acknowledges his former colleagues before vanishing into the afterlife. Afterward, the Ghostbusters return to New York City with their Ectomobile. Roll credits. 
So this was the moment, right? This is what everyone has talked about. This is the moment. Were we ever going to get this again? And let me ask you, fellas, did it live up to the hype? I think it did. In my opinion, you know, we knew it was going to happen. We knew that they were going to show up. And I love that they had the feel of the old Ghostbusters, that Venkman was making the wisecracks, that they worked in the line. And I think we all giggled in glee when, and you knew it was coming when Gozer asked, are you a god? Oh god, it's, it's like a big fucking softball, right? And everyone was ear to ear in the entire fucking theater. We're like, yes, he's supposed to say yes, <laughs> and he's just sitting there. And they even say, "Dude, what's taking so long? You know the answer to this." Peter's still nodding. Yeah, yeah. And that was just—I mean, even though <laughs> yeah, it's an obvious callback, it was—it just made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Um. So that was great. And then we get the scene where, you know, Phoebe's still holding the gun and trying to shoot the gun. And you see the hands come up behind her. And you know right now, I mean, this is the big surprise. You're going to get all four of them back together. Yeah. What did you think when we saw the three for the first time? I was I was delighted. I, I knew that we were going to have... Uh, that we were going to have uh, at least one of them come back. I didn't think I was going to get all of them. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I felt almost the same way uh, like when Cap picks up Mjolnir. It was like that moment where you just you you just think to yourself, yes, here it is. And I I was a little worried to see how Bill Murray was going to do because you you hear things and mm-hmm. uh, you read things and right Bill Murray he's pretty unpredictable right. And so I was hoping to God we got Vankman back and by golly gee Williger's we got Peter Vankman back. He, he hey flat top, you miss us? I mean, it was just it was a perfect delivered line and you, everything everything about that scene was fantastic. I was very, very uh, happy the way that we did not get to hear Egon talk at all. Yeah, me too. I thought that was very powerful. Very well done. Because, I mean, it's CGI Harold Ramis, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess they could have gotten someone to stand in or or do it. But the way they did it, it didn't feel like... um, it was very gentle. Yes, it was gentle and subtle. It wasn't like the Princess Leia or what we've gotten gotten in uh, uh, previous movies where they de-age people or bring people back from the dead. This one felt like it, he could have been Harold Ramis mm-hmm. with the blue glow force around him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was a very tender moment. And as soon as you see, uh, as soon as you see uh, his hand come up under hers to help guide the proton pack. I got a little choked up. I'm not going to fucking lie. It was a very fucking emotional moment. And, you know, you felt it. And it, it was it was great, great timing, great moment. That did feel emotional to me. But I think for me, the big kind of almost having the tear come down my face is when the four of them are sitting there shooting the proton packs and they kind of all look over at him and he's just kind of looking straight. And just the look on their faces is what kind of made me think, Oh, th- this is going to make me cry. Yeah. Well, the, that kind of whole sequence, I'm not going to lie, made me tear up. And even, it, it goes back to when he hugs everyone goodbye and just, you know, they're saying goodbye to Harold. And, and it, it was a real touching moment. I thought this whole scene was very appropriately done and was a great 
send off for Harold Ramis. Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's if you're going to do it and you're going to bring him in, this is how it should have been done. And I love the fact that they come in, they announce their presence with authority, they fire their proton packs, and they've been here before. And what do they got to do? They just got to cross the streams. And then I think it's Olivia Mum who is Gozer, and, and that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, comes out and she spreads the beams apart and now she they have to them. she uncrosses them and so now they have to rethink their plan so like this. now what yeah it's it, very well done mm-hmm. very well done yeah i just the, the whole scene now this again this goes to now my second issue with this movie which is there was a lot of lead up a lot of build up and then we get to this you know the big scene the big trap and it's the big fight with gozer I would have loved a little bit more of it. You know, I couldn't get enough of it. So I wish they would have taken away a little bit from earlier on in the movie to give us more of this kind of ending big fight, you know, taking down Gozer part and a little more Egon. Yeah, tough shit. I'm just saying that's just my preference, what I would have liked. I know, but you didn't get it. So ha ha. Well, I'll just wait for the extended version. I, w- I would say that if I had a couple of nitpicks about this film, I think it's kind of paced funny. Um, the way it's kind of cut together, especially in the beginning, um, when we're kind of introducing everything and uh, how it's going. And by this time, when we're getting here, and I hate to say this, I was ready for it to be over. The battle, the trapping of Gozer. Not so much the movie, because I love the characters, and now we got the three of them back, and you know maybe some banter here and there. But as far as the action and the trapping of Gozer, I thought this could have been a little bit shorter. So, Professor, I dug the uh, the fact that Trevor, who hadn't been doing much in the way of the whole ghost busting thing, actually ended up kind of saving the day by uh, uh, getting all of the traps to spring by him hitting the, uh, the 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 towers that were set up nearby that eventually triggered all of the traps so it's like hey he finally came through in a big way yeah and it's funny because as soon as he turned his head and he looked at him i went oh he should fucking hit that and it's like we discovered that moment at the same time and yeah it was a brilliant idea and saved the day and what do you think of all those traps going off in the ground that was pretty fucking cool right yeah. one little question why didn't egon go into any of those traps that was a thought that I had too, and maybe it's because he wasn't over the traps like all the other ones. So oh, maybe, maybe he wasn't yeah. pulled in. Maybe he, he's out of the trajectory of it. That yeah. and I think it kind of pulled all of them in because Go, Go or Gozer, Gozer was being pulled into the trap, and he Gozer was connected to all those other spirits through that well. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why Egon was safe. I was kind of thinking that he was probably out of the radius as well because the uh, enticement to get the the spirits over the trap in the beginning and then again at the end holding the uh trap up you know come come on come on closer right you wanted to spring the trap at the right time and so i was kind of thinking maybe he was just far enough away out of the radius of the traps yeah and then that's what we kind of chalk it up to because he uh after he says his goodbyes and uh he has to go he 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 disappears and evaporates up. And I, and I thought that was a nice little touch, mm-hmm. you know, so. And, and then uh, another nice little touch was um, as we go up into the sky and then it says for Harold. Yeah. So, you know, we have the gatekeeper and key master 
uh, like before. And in the first movie, uh, they had to uh, consummate their union Cap- in order for capitulate to, in order for Gozer to uh, reappear. So it kind of made sense that we had uh, Egon's daughter and Paul Rudd's character uh, take the role of Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis. Um, they did answer another question. What's that? That I had from the first movie, which was, we know that Mick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver had to consummate or do something together to open up the lock. Did they remember it? Well, in this movie, we find out that Paul Rudd, you know, turns to the mom and basically says, did, did we? And she goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. <laughs> Well, that just goes to show you that Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana, wanted to block that out of her head. (laughs) And for uh, Lewis, it was the greatest moment of his life. So so I just love how they, yeah, yeah, we pretty much did. Yeah, that was good. And then podcast coming out of Ecto-1. Covered in marshmallow looked just like what? Anybody? Anybody? Looked like Ray. Coming off of the building in the very first one. So again... And we, get, and we get the interaction that almost made me feel like we were listening to one of our podcasts when uh, Ray reveals that he is the one listener <laughs> listening to podcast, podcast, and even quotes of, you. Re- it really started to come together in episode 46. Yeah, and that was a great callback to that, to that moment that and he I'll, referred to. So, yes. Totally. So well, uh, we see that uh, Winston looks at Ecto One and kind of rubs in and goes, "Oh, they've been rough to you." And and then we cut to that classic scene of the Ecto One going across the bridge, going into New York, and we get the Ghostbuster song. You know, we haven't had it at all yet, and it's the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters that we all know and love. And I heard people in our audience cheer at this moment. They're like, "Yay!" Um, but you, again, you had to know this one was coming. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of credits and then we get a great mid credit scene, which I'm surprised that they did too, uh, like that other company does. But the first one we got, well, before that, when it's going over the bridge and we get the Ghostbusters song for me again, crazy thoughts. My first thought was, I wonder if they had to pay Huey Lewis for this. Hey, I got a better question. Who cares? Yeah. Okay. I figured Uh, (laughs) when they were going across the bridge, did he have a police escort? It looked like it. It looked like there were police all around him, but I'm not sure. No one would really know what happened in Somerville except them. Yeah. Well, I mean. Why would they have a place? It is New York, so there could have just been cop cars going across the bridge. Well, that and Winston's very rich, so he could have hired an escort. Oh, there you go. In a mid-credit sequence, Venkman and Dana are playing around with the memory cards he used in Ghostbusters while he hooked up the shock machine. So I saw Sigourney Weaver's name in the credits, and I'm like, "Where the fuck was she?" I had no idea. Same. I thought the same thing. And I then it and then it cuts right up. And then it cuts right to fucking Sigourney Weaver, and there she is. And it was so funny. Um, I thought for sure he was going to get him right, and she was going to say it was wrong, and then mm-hmm. buzz him like he did in the first one. I thought that, and I also thought, oh, there's got to be a mirror behind over her shoulder that he's seeing all the cards in. No, he marked them. Yeah. And he had them marked ever since the beginning. So it was a nice little callback. And I guess we're supposed to be led to believe that they are married because they were both wearing uh, bands. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's nice to think that uh, Peter and Dana ended up together. I like how he also came clean with, she says, you shocked your students well. 
Mostly just the guys. Yeah. Well, come on. That was obvious. Yeah. We knew that from the first film. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I was very surprised to see her. Oh, what are you doing here? Well, all right. That's fun. It, it was a weird kind of sidestep. You know, I guess if you're going to work them in, that's a great way to work them in. I thought maybe just him coming home from the office, you know, coming home from it all and her being there would have been a great story. But I guess the shock machine is a good callback. Oh, so good. I really enjoyed it. And so then more credits run and we were sitting there thinking, is there going to be a final one? And there was in a post credit sequence Janine talks with Winston about the success he found while holding a coin identical to the one she gave to Spangler. Winston states that despite his success as a businessman, he'll always be a Ghostbuster. Winston visits the old station house while he has an unknown driver bring the car into the station. Meanwhile, a red light on the containment unit within the station begins glowing bright red. House lights up, and the movie now is officially over. So now we have our potential sequel. There we, was go- there was going to be a sequel anyway. I know, but they they're starting to set up for that. There's actually a few different places that kind of leaves questions open of where do they go from here? What happens now? And this obviously is the you know throw it in your face, the light on the containment union unit the idea that winston has all this money and is capable of restarting the ghostbusters you know we have our potential for the next movie so but the the the, the next movie is going to have ghosts and ghostbusters how they get there who fucking cares well this movie does leave a lot of questions to be answered and one of them is the fact of when uh, Dan Aykroyd was talking to Phoebe, when Ray was talking to Phoebe, he mentioned how after they first caught Gozer, the spirits started to dry up. And they eventually, as Venkman said, we did our job too well. You know, they thought they caught all the ghosts. Well, here's now an idea of, they mentioned it earlier on in the movie, and I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this movie, um, that Zool kind of guards or stands by the gate from the living to you know the dead to the living and maybe now that zool's not there the ghosts are not going to dry up because they're still coming through that gate yeah well they have the money to back it now so yeah that and now we have the idea that the containment unit can be failing which is going to release everything that they caught over how many years they were busting ghosts so here's another point of how they can lead into a new story All right, so speaking of which, uh, what do you think? Should we rate this bitch? Let's rate this bitch. Hey, uh, Professor, how do we rate our films? We have a one to five scale rating. A five is a movie that you've just gotten done watching and you're all set to watch it all over again. We've all had that time. You walk out of the theater. It's like, man, I'm ready to watch that again right now. That's going to be a five. A one is a movie that you've seen and you have no desire to see it again. For whatever reason, you just have... No reason, no desire. No, nope, I'm not going to see it again. That's it. A three is somewhere in the middle. It's like, yeah, I'll watch that again. If somebody's interested in watching it, you'll, you'll, you'll watch it again. You'll maybe even own the movie. And a zero. A zero is a movie where you feel scarred and you are angry that you had to watch this movie again and somebody owes two hours of your life back. There you have it. Those are our ratings. Uh, who would like to go first in this uh, section of our show? Would you like me to go first? Sure. Go ahead, buddy. Okay. Well, 
obviously we're fans of this movie and we're fans of the first one. We gave the first Ghostbusters a pretty good score. I think it was a almost a five from us. I mean, it was a 4.75, 4.75 and a five. And so huge fans of this movie or of this first movie, second movie, like we, I, you know, we said earlier, Felt like this movie delivered on that movie. It feels like a direct sequel. You could get rid of everything that happened in between. All the different series, the second movie, the 2016 movie. Get rid of it all. And this movie would work great as a direct sequel to that first movie. It contained the same amount of fun for me. It contained, you know, the one-liners that we needed for, you know, at that end. I would have liked a little bit more of seeing the original Ghostbusters. But we got what we needed. Uh, my only complaint, again, is there's some little bit of the storylines that you know didn't quite work out for me. Uh, and I would have liked a little bit more of that end fight scene. I would have liked a little bit more of seeing Zool and all of them. And a little more action. Um, but other than that, it was a great ride. It was a great revisit. Uh, my nostalgia, nostalgia meter is just going through the roof right now um i will stay say i'm just by a little bit the original ghostbusters for me is still a better movie than this movie um but this is a close second um would i rewatch this movie if either of you said hey let's go get tickets and go watch it tonight i'd be right there with you for that reason i'm gonna give it a 4.75. Fine, I'll go. Okay, good. Jeez Louise. I was eager to see this movie, and as I stated at the beginning, there was some trepidation. What if it doesn't deliver the way that I am wanting it to deliver? And from the very first note of music, I was hooked, and I was along for the ride all through the intro. Okay, I'm, I'm in. This is good. It is hitting all the right notes. The music is such an important factor in, in making me feel good in watching this movie. The tone of the characters is done very well. I really appreciated the, the, the gentleness of, uh, uh, of the subtlety in having these um, little things from the original Ghostbusters peppering throughout the storyline. It was done very thoughtfully, and it is extremely rewarding. I really appreciated our supporting characters. Podcast hits it out of the park. Lucky, she was fun. I really, really adored Phoebe. She is the crown jewel of this story. Having all of our Ghostbusters back at the end of the movie, what what a joy. It was, it was done so well. I... The humor, the, the 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 pacing of the movie was done well. I I really appreciated how how much it was just a plain fun movie. It 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 it's ironic that they didn't release this for summer because this feels like what a summer movie is supposed to feel like. It is so rich and rewarding in complimenting the original Ghostbusters, and I am eager to see it again. 4.5. 4.5 from the professor. 
All right, so uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, I said it at the beginning and probably in the middle. I'm going to go ahead and say it at the end. This uh, very much was in the same vein and formula as most of the reboots slash remakes slash requels, whatever you want to call them, we've been getting lately. Um, And out of all of those films, though not horrible films, I feel like um, if you put this one up against, say, Force Awakens or Alien Covenant or probably what the new Matrix is going to be, I would definitely pick this one because this one has it was done with heart and you could feel the love that the filmmakers had for the property and the respect that they paid to everything. And it was well done. And what I liked about this film, you know, I like the cast and it really brought the story alive for me. And, um, speaking of which the story, it, it was easy to follow it tie, it split off and connected to the ghostbusters 84 when it needed to, but then it looped around to try to give us something uh, more original or, or not original, but say different. And they really succeeded in that. And I really appreciated that. I like the fact that they left New York. I like the fact that they put us in this location that we knew nothing about. And uh, what are you going to do when the ghosts are all around there? And then, of course, all of the callbacks and all the uh, homage that they were playing to the original again. And we've said it over and over again. uh, They did it with such care and style and grace that it it showed. And I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it if there was anything i had to say against this film is that the only thing would be i felt that it was paced a little funny i felt that we there were moments in the film that we were picking up good momentum and then we stopped and did something else and for me it kind of dragged just a little bit just just the smallest amounts and then really i got to be honest gozer's look i didn't like her makeup and then uh, every every time her suit glowed, I kept thinking of the crystals from Superman 78. It was a different color, but it was the same concept. And um, I thought that Olivia Wilde, if that is Olivia Wilde, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I thought she looked just like the uh, original Gozer, and they got that spot on, and the voice was the same, and, you know, the are you a god bit, and just all of that. It, it was very, very well done. Um, so overall on a rewatchability, yeah, I am excited to see it again. Do I think that it's a better movie than, uh, Ghostbusters? The first one? No. Is it close? I don't know if I would say close because they're so similar. Um, so for that, I have to take that into account and, you know, was this a good film? And, and I think it was a good film. So for that and all the nostalgia that goes into it, I'm going to give Ghostbusters Afterlife a 3.5. Okay. So this is the part of the podcast where we would normally pick another movie out of the Bronco helmet. However, this was, in fact, a special edition, which means this will get released before the next movie that we picked. So what is our next movie? Sorry, uh, True Believer, Zach, your movie has been pushed a week. And the next movie uh, that we are reviewing is going to be The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. So that being said... Uh, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at any podcasting hosting site. Uh, we tend to haunt iTunes. We haunt uh, Spotify. We're on the 
Podbean. We're on every podcasting hosting site that I can literally find. Uh, we are also available on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Pinterest. I think we're on as well. We are not quite yet on uh, TikTok, and I'm not letting that one die. Uh, we may have to wait till the afterlife for that one, but professor, you're on that. Uh, beyond that, we are going to be at the Emerald city comic con walking around, enjoying the con and, uh, Don, why don't you tell them a little about that? We're going to be at the Emerald city comic con walking around. What the fuck do you want me to tell them? Well, I was thinking that maybe we might mention that if you find us, and we're going to try to make it a little obvious, but if you find the three of us, we might have a little gift for you. Well, then why didn't you just say that? Because I thought I'd include you, fucker. <laughs> it's called throwing you a bone. Oh, I'll throw you a bone, buddy. Um, you, you, know what, you know what, John? Fuck that guy. I know. Fuck him. I try to get him involved. Jesus. Hey, Jesus had nothing to do with this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Come and find us at Emerald City Comic Con, and you will get a prize. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. Thanks to everyone who listens. Zach, Ronnie, we appreciate you. Uh, Be sure to share and tell a friend who we are and what we're about. Let's get the word out there and let's get us broadcasting all over the world. We would really love to build our audience. All right. So for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. but go ahead. Why? Why aren't you ready? I'm never ready. Uh, Now I just feel bad for Julie. I know somebody who lives in a haunted house. I have a friend named Tren, and on, you know, he is posting on Facebook almost on a weekly basis, new things that the ghosts do in his house. And there was a murder at his house. Uh, So he's got some crazy stories. We should bring him on sometime if we ever want to, do a little ghost episode. He's got some crazy stories. Of what was the last thing him. he posted about? Uh, he posted that, uh, well, I was just talking to him the other day about it. His uh, girlfriend, Tiona, they were sleeping in the bed and Tiona was awakened by what she thought was her daughter or her son coming into the room. And she saw looking, you know, kind of in the darkened area, a dark figure walking towards her dresser and opening up her drawer. She turned the lights on Nobody's there, but the drawer is open. Oh, right on. So she's got, they've got stories like that crazy. They've got stories of doors opening and closing. They've got, you know, normally houses creak, but how many houses creak like footsteps constantly all night? Um, Haley, the daughter who lives in the house, is constantly finding drawers open, cabinets open. She cleaned up something in her room, left her room, came back, and it was all stacked back on her bed again. Have they thought of doing the paranormal activity? Uh, I don't know. They they right and, now... And what I mean by that is set up cameras. They they have thought about that, but I think right now, the way I was talking with Trent, is this ghost or ghosts, they're not sure. They think it's a child. Um, the ghost is very passive and friendly. They don't want to do anything to piss it off. 
Oh, okay. So they're not having a horrible experience no, with it. No, it's just, it seems to be just a ghost. Now it's getting more and more prevalent and it's showing up more and more. And what they found out from a neighbor was there was a suspicion of the original homeowner was abusing his children. And the neighbor came over to confront the owner of the house and shot him at the doorway and killed him right there in the doorway. Wait, who killed who? The neighbor killed the owner of the house. Who, who was abusing his who children. Who was suspected of abusing children in the house. Okay, let me ask you this. Does Trent listen to the podcast? He doesn't, but I need to get him to listen. Well, then I'm cutting all this shit out. That's good. All right, fuck off. Good night.